fantastic, Dan. fantastic day. Yes, Dan, can you hear me? Dan, can Thank you hear you. me, my friend? Got you. Can you hear us? Well, we're uh, we evacuated Florida. Oh, because of the hurricane. Yes. Are you there, uh, Dan? Um, I'm. Can you hear me, Jim? I've got you. I've got you loud and clear, my friend. I've got you, Jim. We're we we've left Florida because of the hurricane. So we're and we're headed north towards Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, but we're in back back country, so we don't. I think we, yep, we lost Dan. Okay, well, we've got Don and we've got Donna Garavaz. So uh, we are live here. And I'm in the middle of the. We are here live and uh, we are doing the damn thing as always on a uh, fabulous day. And uh, it's a uh, pressure situation. Don Mazzella with us today and uh, Donna Carol Voss with us. And um, first of all, Don, um, give us your thoughts on, on, on this hurricane. And uh, Dan was just telling us they've, they've evacuated and are heading toward uh, North Carolina. Um, we'll start with you, Don. Give us your thoughts thoughts here, my friend, and we'll let Donna Carol Voss jump in. Don, are you there, my friend? Can you hear us? We're live. Don Mazzella, can you hear us, my friend? Oh, I can hear you. Okay. Well, I'm clear, but okay. I thought you said Dan. No, no, okay. no, 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 no. I was talking to you because I think we lost Dan. I think we lost Dan. Oh, okay. What do you want? It's just it's just going to be it's just going to be you and you and Donna today. (laughs) So I'm in a actually a very interesting convention, which you may hear in the background. I'm at the fixed space, the 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 Northeast uh, uh, Airplane Association, where all private planes uh, get together, and I'm I'm just talking to uh, somebody. Who uh, who has a fixed based operation in St. Martin and Antigua, and saying how uh, it passed by them caused some damage, but uh, thankfully not as much as they expected. Yeah. Now, now I'm moving up the uh, the coast and uh, uh, following the track and talking to the various fixed based uh, operators, all of whom have said the same thing. They have never seen such an opera, um, a hurricane in the last 20 years that they know of. But uh, we're surprised at how little damage, uh, relatively speaking, uh, has occurred. They, um, they've all evacuated their private planes from there and uh, uh, say that uh, surprisingly little um, airplane damage. I can't talk about the rest of it. But this that was the talk of the uh, here at the convention. Now, uh, Donna Carol Voss with us today uh, as our as our guest here on our broadcast. And uh, Donna, what 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 have you been hearing and seeing with this uh, with this hurricane and everything? I just shake my head. I, I cannot believe that after the devastation of Hurricane Harvey, that now we have of Hurricane Irma. I, and and I, I tend to feel bad for the people in the path of Hurricane Irma because Harvey got all of the 
dramatic attention. And, you know, we can, we as an American people or the world, but we are the ones donating money. We can only handle so much for so long. And, you know, Harvey got all the attention. Plus, nothing can compete with that flooding. Nothing. So I, I worry about the people. And I'm, you know, I don't, I don't like supporting global warming in any way or climate change. There may be some, but it's not as drastic as I think we're led to believe. I don't know how much impact humans have on it, but darn if you don't know, they're going to be a C, C, climate change. <laughs> Dan Perkins is back with us. Dan, can you hear us, my friend? Yes, sir. As I said, uh, we're evacuating Florida. We, uh, we left uh, Sanibel yesterday morning, and after 14 hours, we traveled 300 miles. <laughs> Wow, it is, uh, and you and you you couldn't do that today. I mean, the the roads are just absolutely jammed. So ninety five north, seventy five. It just, it would. I don't. I don't know how far you could go today. I mean, it just highways are just, uh, and and the highways last night. We drove into north of Valdosta, Georgia, at one o'clock in the morning, and the highways were still really busy for one o'clock in the morning in every hotel room was sold out from the Georgia border all the way to Valdasta, Georgia, just outside of, or from Valdasta to Macon, Georgia, uh, just south of of Atlanta. We've got uh, our guest today, Donna Carol Voss. She's with us today. We've also got Dan Perkins. And joining us via telephone, we have uh, the great Don Mazzella and uh, IQ Al Rizzoli. Uh, Not sure where he's at today, but uh, he's not joining us here on our broadcast. However, um, Donna has a fantastic book out there, Nothing to Apologize For, The Truth About Western Civilization. And uh, let's talk also here a little about this uh, DACA situation. Uh, Don why is this so controversial? And then I'll let the uh, I'll let the guys jump in and ask you a few questions here. You know, you cut in and out. I heard Donna. Uh, and wh- the guys can ask. Okay, you okay. DACA. Let, let's talk about DACA here. Why is yes. this so controversial, Donna? And then we'll let the guys jump in and ask you a few questions about it. Well, if you think about it, it is the most um, emotionally wrought aspect aspect of illegal immigration because on the one hand you have these very sympathetic illegal aliens who were brought here not under their own power and nobody thinks that children dictate the parents decision so they were brought here they had no choice in the matter and so it comes down to do we let them stay which 86 percent of americans think that someone who was brought here at age five should be allowed to stay 83% think that someone who was brought here as a teenager should be allowed to stay. And then there are those of us, like myself, who think we just have to bite the bullet and do this really hard thing. Because if we don't, if we reward this illegal behavior, there's just going to be more of it. Like when Ronald Reagan granted amnesty to the 3 million people in 1986, it was supposed to, you know, okay, that solves the problem. But now we have 11 million illegal aliens. So clearly, you know, granting amnesty just made people think oh great you know let's let's try it let's let's get it on the next one uh dan do you have, do you have any questions for donna carol Voss? We, we've got her live here today my friend can you hear us don don or dan well, I'll jump in. Which, whichever one whichever one can hear me jump in <laughs> okay uh, uh, i'm i'm gonna jump in as you know i'm the son of an immigrant's uh 
my father jumped ship to come into this country and married my mother to be uh, to become legal. So uh, uh, I, I'm kind of torn two ways. But, you know, we have 11 million uh, of these so-called dreamers, uh, and which is an interesting word, because what they're dreaming about is being American citizens. And uh, I point out that um, the, the Roman Empire uh, grew in the uh, first and second century A.D. Uh, because uh, it judiciously granted Roman citizenship. We should be doing the same thing. The, um, we, we should ask these uh, uh, loving dreamers three questions. Where do they, uh, their loyalty lie? Two, do they speak English, which, uh, while not our, our official language, should be? And uh, number three, what are, are their skills? If they're going to be, if they're on the, uh, uh, those are the three questions I would ask. And then from then, uh, give them, what do you think? Me or Jiggy? You, Donna. Me. Well, I, I agree with you that English should be our official language. I, that's where we, we actually are on you know totally the same page. I feel the same way in terms of being torn. However, I don't know that all these dreamers are the wonderful, wonderful people that uh, some of them certainly are. But it is... It is obviously not possible that an entire group, 886,000 dreamers out of 11 million illegal aliens. And what I've seen, I'm not too impressed with their loyalty to America, because if you think about it, they have benefited from a world-class education free at the expense of the American taxpayer. So to me, there should be at least a little bit of gratitude. And what I hear them saying, and I, I really take issue with them referring to them as immigrants, because we do have legal immigrants, and that is a different category of people that's a privilege to be an immigrant in America. These folks are illegal aliens, illegal meaning here unlawfully, alien meaning citizens of another country. So it's not a dis it's not a, an insult to call them illegal aliens, but they do not have a right to be here, and especially when they don't evince gratitude for being raised here, I'm less sympathetic to them, I have to say. Maybe I'm cold-hearted, but if they were just so... So uh, we love America. We love your values. We really want to stay. That's one thing. But, you know, we wake up every day afraid that we're going to be deported because we're immigrants or this is not a white country. This is an immigrant country. And that, that just turns me off. We couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> you, you, you hit it uh, right on the, the head. Uh, you know, uh, I, what do you think of uh, uh, President Trump putting this yeah, uh, into the laps of the Senate and House and saying, solve something. I think it is a ball that should have been in their court all along. However, I don't think that that's why Donald Trump did it. I think he did it to force them to do something. I also think he did it uh, as a bargaining chip at the beginning of this very, very packed calendar that Congress has so that he can negotiate, look, will Republicans will give you the dreamers if you give us the wall or something, some uh, equivalent value. So I don't think he's as focused on the Constitution as he appears to be, although it's isn't DACA was always unconstitutional. So it is correct that he give it back to Congress. Although I if you hear what he says where he says, um, I'll be happy to revisit it, I don't think he has any of sending these kids folks out of the country. Hmm. Uh, again, I, uh, 
Jiggy, uh, we're in trouble. I'm on Greg. With <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you know, um, uh, well, let's go. Um, uh, let, let's go further. Uh, one of the things I object to is calling them dreamers. Uh, I think it's a, a, a bad word. But uh, um, uh, uh, the alternative: Do you believe we should uh, 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 have some sort of a test for them? in order for them to remain? No, I don't think it's a question of loyalty. I really don't. I think it's a question of what we want our overall immigration policy to be. And either we, I'm speaking as a parent here, I always tell my kids, I can't reward bad behavior. So either we reward people who come here illegally by at least letting their children stay, and then how many more people are going to try to sneak their minor children across the border. So either we reward that behavior and we expect it to increase, or we absolutely do not reward that behavior and we would expect it to decrease. So in my opinion, very easy for me to say, I think we should absolutely not reward that bad behavior. We should do what we need to do to communicate. Don't bother coming here. But then again, that's that's against a bigger issue. I think we should not have anchor babies. it's a large oh and chain migration so a quote unquote dreamer and maybe you can tell me how that who who came up with that nickname but so the the dreamers they come or they stay and then they're able to bring you know great aunt opal or great aunt maria and so it's it's not just one person out of that 886,000 it's you know maybe maybe five or six people per and that's a very different situation all right uh, great uh, what do you what do you think about saying that uh, the parents if, uh, are illegal? The children can either uh, go back with the with the uh, parents or stay without the parents. What do you think about that? I think illegal is illegal, and we have to have the same rule. For uh, the one exception I would make is if there are anyone any illegal alien, but especially a dreamer in the military. If they're already putting their life on the line, and that's a very easy black and white decision, because when you have interviews, who's doing the interview, you know, what are the questions, is it consistent? Uh, To me, that is just opening a big can of worms. But if you say, okay, this person is already in the military, I give them a pass. Give them uh, permanent status. Well, uh, I believe, uh, what do you believe about the idea we say uh, no more. Even if you're uh, born of illegal parents, after after uh, January first, two thousand eighteen, you're no you're not covered under this, and you've got got to go back. What do you think about that? I think that would be a very smart move in general. We don't want. Uh, I don't think you know the Fourteenth Amendment was instituted to give citizenship to freed slaves. And of course, we had to do that. But it's been used now. I hear, you know, very wealthy women from China will fly in to LA, give birth there so that their children have dual citizenship, Uh, again, with um, crossing the southern border. We don't want to make it so easy to be an American citizen. We want to hold it out as a real privilege that you have to earn, work for, and deserve. And just anchor babies, it's uh, it, it just seems like such a such a stupid thing to be doing because it just it just I mean all it does is allow people because once you're here once they're here all they have to do is pop out a kid and then boom the kid's legal and so the kid gets all these welfare benefits 
and then the parents benefit from that. I, it, you know, you don't you don't feed the lion if you don't want the lion to stick around. Well, that's a great line. I'm I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> that is a great line. Feel free. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we're we're milking this because unfortunately, both you and I agree, and and um, I suspect most of the points involved here. Should we go on to the uh, broader issue yes. of uh, what we yes. should do with all of the uh, illegal uh, immigrants in this country? Yes, that's a much thornier problem. But I, I think that the philosophy remains the same. There are those, I, I see these folks on TV. I saw somebody on Tucker Carlson last night saying, I have faith in the American people. I think we, we can just take anybody. And I think, okay, that person does not have kids. Because if you have children and your schools are being inundated with non-English speakers who then have to have special attention that diverts attention away from just, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. So I think we have to be very, very draconian about illegal immigration. And people like myself, and if you agree, are very much in the minority. And yet, what what are we, who are we? If we're not able to be America with borders and standards, well, who and what are we anymore? Well, great answers. Could I ask for the name of your book again? Why, yes, of course you may. It is called Nothing to Apologize for, The Truth About Western Civilization. And it's a very clear-eyed love letter to America that does not any punches. I talk about the horror of slavery that we, you know, were. it was atrocious that we did that. We treated the Native Americans or the American Indians terribly, and we still are in that respect. If you don't know, if you don't have a personal reason for knowing what's going on with American Indians, you probably have no idea how bad it is. But one thing I found when I was researching my book is that they're not allowed to own their own land. The U.S. government, Uncle Sam, for their benefit, quote unquote, maintains control of their resources. So they cannot get job, they cannot get uh, loans to buy homes. They cannot get loans to start businesses because they have no collateral. And you look at the alcoholism and the high school dropout rates. Well, those are the symptoms of being shut out of the of the free market economy. So I think we're terrible. What we do to American Indians, we really need to own that. But the book is very informative. It's short. It's easy to read, very easy to digest. I love being funny and humorous. So it's a good book. I recommend it. <coughs> Well, if I'm, I'm hearing you correctly, and I'm sorry uh, 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 if uh, I, I missaid, your, your book is real is a peon to the Western civilization, but you're saying that uh, we we were not uh, nice to our Native Americans. Did I well, hear it correctly? Yes, my second chapter is uh, it's called Western Culture is Messy. I can't lie. So when I, excuse me, when I am explaining the context of Western civilization and defending it, I'm also saying that it's been poorly behaved at points. So the overall thesis of my point is of my book is we want to bring Western civilization or Western culture to the party, well-behaved Western culture to the party, and show it off a little bit, because we in the West Europeans are expected to hang our heads in shame and i think we can hang our heads in acknowledgement but to feel to, to be convinced that we're not allowed to sit at the table well everyone will 
will suffer from that because people don't understand Western civilization brought us science and reason and logic and the enlightenment and all the things that people are using to um, determine and evaluate that we have some problems we need to fix. That's a purely Western phenomenon that we look at ourselves, that we believe in progress, that we reason our way forward to a better future. We only have civil rights here because every single group in this country we know is deserving of civil rights. And if they're not there yet, we're on our way. Whereas other countries in the East, Eastern civilization, they, if, if human rights exist, if they exist, they're fragile. Well, well what do you think about the, the, this uh, uh, drive to eliminate all the statues of Christopher Columbus and all the other people? It is, it is so stupid because I think when you, when you start down very gray, very murky, very slippery slope. Where does that stop? Do people, black people are overwhelmingly represented, overrepresented with the last name Washington. The 90 something percent of people with the last name Washington are black. So do they have to change their names? Are they all gonna be so-and-so X, like Malcolm X? I mean, what, we, the, the underpinnings of this country, whether you like it or not, are white, European, Judeo-Christian, values and people. And I don't agree with eliminating. What I would like to see is where there are statues of Robert E. Lee, put up a statue of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and Nat Turner and, and put a little outdoor museum there and explain the whole story. Don't eliminate part of the story that isn't all of it. Just add. And tell the rest of the story. Well, uh, you know, uh, Jiggy, uh, this man speaks uh, um, uh, good English and uh, good thoughts. Yes. Uh, I could, do you want me to continue on? Go ahead, Don. The floor is yours, my friend. We don't have Dan or IQ, so uh, we might as well we might as well l l let you talk for a change, my friend. <laughs> well, well, I just don't want to be too much of a hog. You know me. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but let's let, let's go uh, uh, to. Uh, I happen to agree with you. And someone pointed out something to me uh, the other day that uh, uh, no matter what the civilization is, including the Asian, Japanese, and the Chinese, it has not survived contact with the West in the original form. And pointed out that the kimono is almost non-existent today in Japan as a mode of dress, that it is a totally Western um, uh, uh, clothing world, and if you look at China, the middle class, uh, uh, as someone pointed out, uh, sure likes uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken over uh, Chinese uh, General Chow's uh, uh, chicken. Do so you want to comment on that? Sure. I, you made the comment that uh, these civilizations have not survived contact with Western civilization. I would say they were improved proved by contact with Western civilization. And one very kind of controversial example of this is India. When the British colonized India, they required English to be spoken everywhere. Well, without that English as a unifying language, India has, I don't know how many hundreds of different little languages. They would not be able to be the economic power and uh, as progressive as they are today if they could not all communicate with each other. Plus, when uh, the British were ruling it, they did have Indian um, leaders and managers and uh, 
I don't know, leaders is probably the best word, but because they learned that structured Western way of organizing and planning and executing an economy, look at how well they're doing today. Well, you know, it's ironic. That's a great example, but someone pointed out to me, they also learned the perfidy of the English as well, but that's for another time. Well, every culture's got its downside. That's one of the things to my book is that what we do with the Western civilization and culture in America is we look at only the bad, only the bad, which, you know, it's very rapacious capitalism. Uh, we, we see only slavery instead of the fact that we in the West abolished slavery first. We figured it out first. And every single culture in the country, in the, in the world since the dawn of time has had slavery but we figured it out in the west first and that's my whole point is just let's look at the west in context because no culture is all good no culture is all bad even the taliban built some schools so you really have to look in context and realize that every human culture has its dark side its ugly side that cannot be what defines us if everybody has it different flavor in different cultures but what defines us is what we've been able to do despite that and we in the west there's no question that we have brought the most prosperity, the greatest amount of human rights, the greatest opportunity. I mean, people are not fighting to get out of this country, to get to Saudi Arabia. People are fighting to get in because it is such an exceptional place. Yeah. Yeah, I always said, I've always pointed out that during the Cold War, no one was ever trying to get into the Soviet Union. They were all trying to get into the United States, and you just uh, confirmed that. Well, people aren't stupid. They know. They definitely <laughs> know. And, I, you know, you, you mentioned the statues. I think there's a bigger problem, and that is uh, free speech. I am very alarmed to see what is happening with this whole concept of hate speech, which really does not exist. If you look at the First Amendment, there are two things that are not covered under the First Amendment. One is a clear and present danger, like yelling fire in a crowded theater. The second is something called fighting words that are harder to explain, but it has to do with inciting violence right then, right there. You cannot do that. But everything else, I can offend you. I can say odious things. I can say whatever I want, because if you have power today to tell me, and when I say you, I mean the generic you, if you have power today to tell me what I can and cannot say, Think about this. Someday someone else will have power and tell you what you can and cannot say. What if what if in the future, you know, super duper conservative people are running the show and you can't say gay or you can't say transgender? It's so stupid to give humans the power to dictate what other humans can say. It needs to be this um, impersonal, objective, occasionally interpreted by the Supreme Court Constitution that, that we are all accountable to that is a level, level playing field for all of us. Very articulate statement, and again, I can't argue with you. You're absolutely right. Oh, no. Hey, Jiggy, what are we going to do over here? No one's arguing. <laughs> well, uh, Donna, t t tell us, l l let's switch topics here. Um, Donna, tell us about your book that you wrote uh, fairly recently with the presidential election, because I know Don definitely would, would love to talk about that book. It was... Uh, uh, the questions you ask every Oval Office candidate. Tell us a little bit about that, and 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 let's talk a little bit about that because uh, it. I, I think it'd be very interesting in the conversation, especially since Don uh, has has well, been I, I studying a wrong to, side. To, um, suggest this because it's, but I 
I think agree with me on this too, but we'll just see. So 10 questions to ask every Oval Office candidate. It's an evergreen topic because every presidential election, there'll be slightly different questions. They can be modified for the midterm elections that are coming up. But one of the most controversial questions I ask and I don't have an answer for this, so maybe maybe Don will disagree with me or have a different point of view. If we are going to survive as a culture, I think we have to be willing to kill innocent women and children. For instance, the Taliban, when they, when they occupy schools, because they know we don't want to bomb schools, and then they use those as a base for uh, attacking the West. So we have to decide, is, is our culture worth preserving or have we had our turn in the sun is it someone else's turn now and we don't survive at the cost of killing innocent women and children i tend to go down on the side that we have to we have to preserve our culture our culture is what has given the most to the world so and we have a right to survive it, it is you know survival instinct is very strong but at the same time to say well you know sorry women and children need to go because we need to survive. That's that is a very harsh line to draw. What do you think? Well, that's a that's a darn good question, uh, and I I come down on the same side of, uh, as you. <clears throat> um, you. You know, um, uh, the, the, this culture, and I make some. Uh, uh, I don't make apologies uh, to it when I talk about it. Uh, you know, to, I I come from a, a, a lower class uh, background and uh, have managed, I think, to move uh, up a little one or two stratas. And this country has always enabled people to do that. Well, um, we don't talk about Alger, um, Horatio Alger anymore. We don't talk about uh, people um, who made good starting from humble be beginnings, we, which this country always allowed throughout its history. <clears throat> And uh, uh, I go back to in, when I went to college, we talked about Frederick Jackson Turner's uh, um, uh, frontier thesis. The constantly westward moving frontier explains the American character. And, and the American character has always been based on the idea of, of meeting and overcoming challenges. Uh, and to me, that is what is the basis of this country. It's ability to overcome challenges, uh, whether it's uh, putting a man on the moon, whether it's overcoming a Texas uh, uh, hurricane, whatever it is this country ha has done, and that's what we have to preserve. What I, what I uh, see too much of and hear too much of is people saying, we can't do this, we can't do this, and how terrible this is and how terrible that is. And, you, you know, and we don't celebrate the goodness anymore. We celebrate the, uh, the badness. And that, to me, is what's wrong with this country right now. And it should change. And I'm I, back to you. I agree completely. How can we disagree on that? And I, I think it's so ironic that, for instance, I don't know if you followed this, but in Los Angeles, they just voted the city council of the city and county of Los Angeles. No more Columbus Day. It's Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, Columbus is the reason we have Western European culture in the Americas. And it's Western European culture that creates a system of government where there's such a thing as a city council, where elected representatives 
vote according to their constituents' desire, and they, I don't agree with them, but they're able to change the name of Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. So it's a little bit like biting the hand that... Oh, I lying could, heavily uh, on Western. Uh, I think they're idiots. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I just I, I, I no. Yeah, we he deserves his own day. I mean, we would not have Western culture is about science and reason and individualism and. In America, we have done that with a very big chaser of optimism. If you think about it, I love uh, reading Alexis de Tocqueville, uh, America, when he first came over here. You know, he was he got in a little trouble over in France and needed to scoot over here uh, to lay low for a while. And he supposedly came over to study the American prison system. But when he got here, he was so shocked. He'd never seen people, men, greet each other as equals. Because where he was from in European culture, uh, you know, you would you would curtsy or you would bow to someone who was of a higher order than you are. And the, the higher the order, the lower the bow or the lower the curtsy. Whereas here, you know, you're just such egalitarian. In fact, he thought that when he went back to France, nobody would believe him. He thought nobody would believe that there was such egalitarianism in America. You know, how uh, uh, to you bring up a point. I was... Uh, on Sunday, on Labor Day, I was at a reception for the Korean American Food Group. Uh, they were holding a big event on uh, Tuesday, and they had a reception the day before. And I was—I happened to be talking to a, a second-generation Korean American uh, woman who was the tra- official translator, and she pointed out that the biggest adjustment she had to make was that Americans don't bow to each other, and in Korea. Uh, that they bow to, they still do, and Asians, you know, bow to each other. And um, uh, making that adjustment, she said um, when she did that, she knew she was more American than Korean. See, that's the thing. No matter where you come from in this world, America is an idea. It's an idea, and it's a set of ideals. So if you subscribe to those ideals, you are, by definition, American. You require citizenship to be called American, but you can be very American in your mentality. And if you think about it, you said Korea, it made me think of this. The U.S. has occupied, well, stuck around in South Korea ever since the end of the Korean War. And it's because of that that look at Samsung. Look at the amazing economic power that South Korea is. Have you ever seen that picture of the Korean Peninsula at night where there's that dividing line, the South is ablaze with capitalist light, and the North is completely dark. Uh, true, true, true. Accurate, accurate, accurate. You, you, you uh, very true. Um, you know, they have a new uh, series coming out on the Vietnam War, but one thing they're not going to point out is the Republican and Korean troops, they rotated the divisions in and out of Vietnam. Um, and and the, the difference between the Korean troops and uh, the American troops. And one of the biggest difference was that there were no prisoner stockades in the Korean um, uh, divisions because they never took prisoners. Interesting. I did not know that. So what, what, you know, I've heard so many different things about the Vietnam War, and you're probably a little bit older than I am. I'm 54, so I don't remember it. At all, I wasn't born, or I was born, but I was just a little whippersnapper. But do you think, I, I've heard that we were winning the war, and if we had stayed, 
we would have won, but it was so unpopular here at home that we pulled out. And I just that scene of the the South Vietnamese trying to jump on the helicopter as it pulls away. That is just heart wrenching. Well, I was there. Uh, um, I, I covered it. So, uh, wow. and I'm biased. So I have to tell you that as a reporter, I'm biased. But um, I only point up. I always point out one thing. Uh, if you see the Vietnam uh, series, you'll the, the, you'll hear them say that the Hue was a defeat, but the U.S. Marines uh, took on the 327th A uh, Vietnamese Division, uh, which is the best division in the North the Vietnamese had, and utterly decimated it. It was uh, it, it was never reformatted. Uh, the, the point is, we lost the war because. Uh, Americans uh, and the media uh, uh, made it a defeatist war rather than what it was. A military victory, but a propaganda defeat. Uh, and I can, uh, uh, I've been booed off stages for saying that, but uh, that's what I, I was there, and that's what I believe, and that's what I, uh, I think ultimately history will say. Do you think uh, there's a similar... Uh complexity or danger that Americans are just not war ready. We're very soft. We're very delicate. So we don't like a war that goes on. We want to bring our people. When we say we, I'm talking the generic we. You know, we just want to be done with it. We think that we can bring everybody back and just not have to worry about it. We can just go to the mall, you know, or watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. But I think we don't we really don't value what our military does in terms of keeping us safe. And if you ever saw that movie, uh, A Few Good Men, where Jack Nicholson and the final scene is so so compelling, where he says, you know, you don't want to know what I do to keep you safe. You can't handle the truth. And I think that's very true. I think that Americans are very naive because we don't have to face the kind of brutality and terrorism that really is almost daily fair in the rest of the world. It's coming, unfortunately. I think we'll reach a point. But I hope that we figure it out that we need our military between us and the rest of the world before we get there. Well, you know, um, I'll answer you. Uh, I don't know if that was a question, but I will um, add to the discussion by, by quoting, you know, Colin Powell uh, said something very interesting. Americans um, don't go to war for territory. They go to war to defend democracy. And um, uh, uh, all they ask to return is uh, some earth to bury uh, its dead on foreign soil. Uh, If you think about what we've done, now uh, people go back to the Philippines, uh, to the... uh, 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 and the an- annexation of the Philippines and Cuba, etc. But in in the nineteenth, t- twentieth, uh, and twenty first century, what have we really tried to do but defend democracy? Um, and uh, to me, uh, that's uh, that's a very difficult thing to do unless you have something like Pearl Harbor. Um, it's very difficult to convince American people that they should do that. Uh, I'm just finishing a book today. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm on the air. Just, uh, I'm, I just finished a book today uh, on the South Pacific campaign and pointed out that um, uh, some of the toughest fighting 
into the South Pacific from World War II were done by National Guard units from uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, etc., who were there only because of Pearl Harbor, not because they wanted uh, any other uh, territory or anything else. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to defend something uh, rather than be for something. It's easy, uh, um, uh, uh, we could go on and on, but that's the point I want to make. So Back to you. Do you agree, then, with President Trump's decision that we no longer do nation-building over in the Middle East? You know, uh, I've covered four uh, Arab-Israeli con- conflicts, you know, and uh, I wa- uh, like everybody else, I'm uh, totally baffled by, by Middle Eastern politics, etc. It's a quagmire. And uh, it's a solution every time, uh, whether the Arabs advance it or the Israelis advance it, um, the other side always wants more. And uh, and if you've ever been in a bazaar in the Middle East, you know that uh, uh, the person who puts in the first bid loses, and the person (laughs) who puts in the last bid is never satisfied. So... uh, and you've got leaders who um, essentially stay in power only as long as there is a conflict. Once that conflict is over, people will throw them out because what do they want? What do they want on the West Bank? They want prosperity. What do they want uh, in Lebanon? Prosperity. You don't get prosperity uh, um, uh, uh, when you have conflict. And... Uh, uh, you know, but but the, the leaders understand that they, that people will demand a different kind of leader uh, if peace is, is ever declared. That's very interesting. I don't know that's, if I'm, huh? that's very interesting. Uh, I had never thought of it that way. I what I think when I look at that the Middle East is that they're just tribes. They're tribal, and you cannot have democracy when you have tribes within group, out group with no overarching philosophy that brings them out of their sort of self-centeredness. And I see that happening here in this country. I think we're getting with this, you know, identity politics or intersectionalism, we're, we're, we're devolving into tribes where it's the blacks and it's the Jews and it's the gays and it's the transgender and it's the, you know, women and everybody has to be in their own little, um, their own little cave. And so if you notice, democracy is fading and and a, and a big symptom of that is free speech which is the foundation of our country the foundation every other constitutional right rests on the freedom of speech and the freedom of assembly hey here's something we might disagree about what did you think about the the uh white supremacists who were protesting in charlottesville do you think that they had a right to march around and say the Jews will not replace us? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Uh, you faded out on my phone. I apologize. That's okay. So in Charlottesville, when the white supremacists and the neo Nazis were chanting, the Jews will not replace First us. First off, they weren't. You know, that's what I really hate. Uh, you, uh, we all fall in the trap. Are they neo Nazis or are they people 
the KKK um, uh, predates the Nazis. The, uh, and uh, to label them Nazis uh, is, is, again, false labeling. Are they people who have a more conservative bent? And I don't mean to interrupt you, but to me, the, the power of words are there. And, and we who uh, 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 look at things somewhat differently than the majority of the media uh, 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 fall into the same trap of calling them. Shall we just call them what they were? People who happen to be different and feel a more right-wing than, uh, than uh, other people. Whether they're not, uh, fascist or not, is not for you or me to say or, or the media to say uh, because it's a pejorative word. The same, same if I use the N-word uh, out, out there. Uh, and, I, and that, to me, is part of the problem that the, the media slips into too often. Uh, what, what are these people that... Uh, that's the stuff in the child still. In my view, they're communists. They're people who uh, 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 don't tolerate an alternative view. Whether that view is right or wrong is immaterial. What should be tolerated is an alternative uh, a counterpoint. And I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just, just want to... I, I get my... Uh, uh, I get boiled at this point on that point. Well, you make a very good point. And I, there's that picture, sort of iconic picture now, of the young man with anger and fury and just yelling, uh, snapped for the world to see, yelling at the counter-protesters that night in Charlottesville. And yet I saw the young man, who is a University of uh, Nevada at Reno student, and his life has been ruined because of that picture. He's been fired from his job. I think he had to leave school. And I saw him, and he was actually a very mild-mannered, kind of nice guy. And he said that it was a unite the right, meaning all different kinds of groups. And there were some very extreme groups there that he and his friends did not want to be there, but there was nothing they could do about it, that he personally was not chanting, uh, the Jews will not replace us. But like, like you said, it's a continuum. And I loved that press conference that Donald Trump had. In fact, I texted yeah. a friend afterward and I said, I said, I've never loved Donald Trump more. I think he's so right. And nobody gives him credit, but he was so right. There was violence on both sides. In fact, you know, the, the um, white supremacists or whatever you want to call them, they, they've slunk away. There's very few of them and they're really not an issue. But this Antifa, they are starting to shut down any freedom of expression. It doesn't matter whether it's left, right. They are just out there to crush and create anarchy. I think they're much more dangerous. Um, um, to me, um, I call this um, um, uh, crowd uh, media. Uh, in Berkeley, in every other in, in every other place um, that we're seeing this, we're seeing professional agitators rather than uh, people who with real con conviction. And Jiggy, I hate to say this, but I have to go. I, uh, I'm a speaker at this event. Not a problem. Not a problem. I'll just I'll just finish off the broadcast here with Donna. I appreciate it.
Thank you, Mr. Mazzella. There goes Don Mazzella here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Border to Border, on iHeartRadio, AMFM247.com. And uh, we've got Donna Carol Voss joining us here as our guest this week here on our broadcast. And uh, uh, Donna, this this there is a lot going on with a lot of the things going on in the news. Um let, let's let's focus a little bit more on on your book that you've got out there. Um, wh- why did you decide to write this book? Well, because I was one of those people that hated America. I went to Berkeley, got there in 1981, and I was just you know naive. I I hated my parents because I was a stupid middle middle class teenager. You know, I thought they were stupid. But other than that, I was pretty. Mm, pretty patriotic. I was pretty uh, proud of America. Then I get to Berkeley and, you know, five minutes later, I, I, I'm taught that we're imperialistic and colonialist and racist and sexist and homophobic and all of these things. And I just bought it hook, line and sinker. In fact, I got to the point where just the name Ronald Reagan made me nauseous. Uh, the biggest swear words in my vocabulary, and there were quite a few of them, the biggest ones were Phyllis Schlafly. And so I, I understand that point of view where you are so disgusted, one is so disgusted uh, with the with the the very admittable admitted negative parts that you lose sight of the of the whole picture. And as I've gotten older, as I've you know raised children, as I've paid taxes, as I've been more involved and engaged in our civics and in our in our American society, I realize oh. That is so short-sighted. That is, that is social suicide. People who want to focus only on the negative, they are killing us. And yet, there's this wonderful, wonderful part of America. It's like when President Obama said, "Well, Americans are exceptional, just like you know the Brits think they're exceptional and the Brazilians think they're exceptional." No, we really are exceptional. We really are. If you think about it, we we talk about being a nation of immigrants. Well, the immigrants they came across the waters, right? Or from from elsewhere. They had to have been open-minded, adventurous, adventurous risk takers. So they are the ones who peopled this country and then their children as well learned from them. Even the people who were here and moved west, like Don was talking about Andrew Jackson, those people had to have uh, courage and uh, a, a spirit of adventure and were tolerant to risk open-minded. In fact, I've noticed this in the West. Uh, people are a lot more open-minded than on the East Coast. And one of my theories is, is the trees. The trees back there are so tall, you feel like you're claustrophobic in this little maze through all the trees, whereas in the West, it's so open. But also people who moved out here were very open-minded. So I think we are just an incredible group of people, optimistic. Have you ever seen that movie, uh, Apollo 13, where yes. they they have to figure out how to put a round plug in a square hole and they do it and they bring those astronauts safely back from space yep. when there's been all of those problems. That's America. To me, that, that epitomizes America, that ingenuity and optimism. It is Donna Carol Voss. She's with us today. She's our special guest here on iHeartRadio and AMFM247.com. Tune in iTunes Radio Loyalty. And uh, talking with her today about her latest book. Now, um, what elements did you draw upon to develop this book? I'm sorry, you cut in and out again? What, what, what did you say? What elements did you draw upon to develop this book, Donna? Oh, 
Oh, okay. So I pick the things that I feel hot and bothered about, and I will just run through. So my my first chapter is back in the day, Western was cool. You know, back in the day, Stanford, in the early part of the 20th century, there were competitions to see who could be the most knowledgeable about Western civilization. They had groups where they would get together and talk about how awesome it was. It was really, and Stanford had this amazing, amazing Western Civ program. It was it was renowned throughout the country. And then in 1988, Reverend Jesse Jackson, who was running for president at that time, or thinking about throwing in his name into the ring, he appeared at Stanford. And he talked about how, you know, everybody is precious in God's sight, red, yellow, black, white, which is true. But he also went on to say, Western Civ has got not to go. He, his point of view was we have to add other cultures in, which I agree. When we, when we realized there was more than just white male points of view, awesome. But what we did was demonize Western culture in the meantime. So there's a very famous story about how after he gave his speech, he led about 500 students down to the Stanford Law Library right, who were chanting, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go. And Apparently, there was an eyewitness there who said Jesse Jackson was not chanting that. He was saying, no, 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 we don't want to kill Western culture. We want to add different and new voices to it. So, you know, if only we had listened, because we we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we demonized Western culture for its very real problems. But, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, Western culture, one of the, one of the hallmarks about it is that we are self-critical. In the East... They think that the past is better than the future, like it can only degrade. Whereas in the West, we think the future is better than the past. So we're always forward-looking. We're always improving. We're always getting better. We, we're never satisfied because we know we can always do better. And I think that's a remarkable a remarkable thing that we're only aware of our problems because we are the West that looks at them, owns them, and does something about them. Donna Carol Voss with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast. Boner to Boner on TuneIn, iTunes Radio Loyalty, iHeartRadio today. And uh, your your books are incredibly, incredibly well written. Tell me a little bit about the writing process for this latest book. You know, it's... Uh it is, thank you for saying that they're inc- incredibly well written. I love to write. And so I wait until I'm hot and bothered about something. And I, when, I, when I'm shaking with adrenaline, I know I'm ready to write because I'm either angry or excited or passionate. And I just start writing and it, it just comes out. And then I go back and I make sure that it makes logical, you know, it makes sense and there's a logical flow to it. But generally, once I'm really heated about something, it just spills out, it spills out very very easily and also i i think um i if i do say so myself i'm quite funny so the humor just just spills out as well and i think that's what makes this book so easy to digest because it's not you know heavy scholarly academic information although it is packed with um, things people may not know but it is funny 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 Donna Carol Voss with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast here on iHeartRadio. AMFM 247.com. Tune in iTunes and Radio Loyalty. And uh, before we let you go, uh, tell us a little bit about the website and where people can uh, get more information on you, Donna. Yes. Okay. So website is DonnaCarolVoss.com. And I'm just getting ready to launch 
my podcast. So it's not up and running yet, but this is my idea. I want to have regular Janes and Joes who are interested. I don't care what the topic is, sex, religion, politics, or something else. I want people to submit to my website things that they're interested in talking about. And then I'll pick, you know, it could be Jiggy Jaguar, although you're way too famous, or it could be my girl next door or something. And then we'll just have a real time conversation with a real person about something like my 40-year-old young friend who is got stage four uh, cancer and has four young children. I mean, stuff that people really care about. And I am really excited about it. I think that's going to be so, you know, so so many podcasts, they sound the same, I think, especially, you know, beginners and, and people that don't really have anything to do except get on there and talk. And I want to have real people. I think it's so interesting, like with Dawn, it's so interesting the back and forth. There's nothing more interesting than real spontaneous dialogue between people. So I'm very excited about that. Stay tuned for that. Well, well, Donna, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on our program. And uh, we will talk to you here in a couple weeks, my friend. I appreciate it. My, ple- my pleasure. Appreciate it. That's Donna Carol Voss joining us on Skype mm-hmm. Audio. And uh, that is that. We've got more coming up here on our big broadcast. I thought the music was going to go.